0: One beer and then put the rest in the cupboard. I don't understand uh, that, but that's what they used to do. You know, so I didn't come from an alcoholic home per se. You know, I can tell you that I have alcoholic tendencies because the first job I got after mowing lawns, you know, there's the Helms Bakery truck used to come around, and so I would uh, gather all the kids in the neighborhood, and my grandiosity would start to show off because I would buy them all donuts, right? Because I wanted to be the big shot. You know, so at an early age that started, but it had nothing to do with my alcoholism. I just know that, uh, according to the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, for me, I'm one of those guys that cross over the line between a heavy drinker, and an alcoholic. You know, um, my highlights of my drinking career are not very exciting. They were like things like uh, moving to Reno, Nevada, and uh, losing my job in the printing industry. And moving along the Truckee River in Reno, Nevada. And if you don't know what that is, that's Skid Row there. I moved into a cardboard box because I couldn't tell anybody that I was no longer employed. You know, because I got ego going. And I lived on Skid Row for nine months. What I did learn on Skid Row in Reno, Nevada was that uh, I learned about that first drink of the morning. I don't know if you've all experienced that one. At one where you decide whether you're going to drink it. You decide, you know, if I drink this one, it's going to kill me. But I also think to myself, if I don't drink it, I'm going to die anyway. So I take it. You know, I learned about those drinks. You know, um, you know, I'm gonna—I'll be a brief talk about. It. I mean, my drinking career wasn't very exciting. I did things like uh, start drinking in Norwalk, California, and uh, I came to in a hotel room three days later. Now, for most people, that's not unusual. It's OK. You know, I, we came to in this hotel room, and I started drinking in Norwalk, California. And I looked out the window, and there was snow on the ground. Now, that's a little interesting. If you're drinking in Norwalk, California, how there could be snow on the ground. So I had to make that march. Well, I, first, I went to the uh, little drawer to see if the phone book was there so I could see what town I was in. But they didn't have one. So I had to make that march down to the motel office. I don't know if any of you ever had to make that kind of march. You go down and you, you, you have to ask this really difficult question of the guy. And I walked in there and he said, howdy. And I went, okay. <laughs> That's special. I don't know where I'm at, but howdy is how it starts. We're in trouble. And I said, where am I? He says, you all be at the six Benny Ann? And I went, uh-oh. And I had to ask the real question. Six Benny Ann, where? And he said, Amarillo, Texas. Which, you know, eh, that's uh, okay. It must have been somebody in a bar had an idea we go to Amarillo, Texas. The only problem is I went out to the parking lot and my car wasn't there. It's a long walk from Amarillo, Texas back to Los Angeles. I can tell you that much. You know, these are the highlights of my drinking career. I'm doing things like uh, passing it out on my living room floor. And I come to about 2, 3 in the morning. I look out and over in the corner because I'm renting those nice apartments here in Glendor, the ones with the, the rats and the mice, And the, you know, in the early 80s. There were a lot of those down on Pasadena on the south end there. And uh, I'm renting one of those apartments and I look across the room and I see this rat looking back at me. I'm looking at this rat and he's looking back at me. And so the two of us sat there and stared at each other for the next four hours, you know, because I'm afraid to get up. I'm too drunk to get up, you know. But I'm also very afraid of this rat, because I'm sure he's gonna eat me if I get up, right? So uh, about 5.30, 6 o'clock, the sun starts to come up. And I look across the room at this rat who'd been staring at me all night with his little beady eyes and realized it had been my sock that held me captive all night long. (laughs) You know, that's my glamorous drinking career. I'm drinking in the Seahorse Inn. A few of you remember, you'll remember the Seahorse Inn. It's now called Our Place. But it was a fine place. It had the sand dust on the floor. It had the crack mirror. It had the shuffle boards. You had to walk sideways through the bar. You could not walk normal. You know, these are fine establishments to drink in. And this is the highlights of my career of drinking. You know, I'm drinking because I have to. I'm drinking for the effect that I get from alcohol. What I get, what that effect is, is that moment of awe that I got when I was 13 years old. I've been chasing it all along and never got it back. You know, I'm drinking because it was my solution, not my problem. Alcohol was never my problem. Alcohol was always my solution because it took me away from me. So, you know, I had moved to Reno, Nevada. I'd lost that job. I was living on Skid Row. So I moved back to my parents' house and I moved in a travel trailer in their driveway. You know, because I wasn't moving back home because I got pride. And I uh, live in this travel trailer for a while. I met my wife, married her. And I learned about hopelessness from my first wife. Because when I'd come home at night, she used to say what I thought was the weirdest thing. She'd be standing at the door and when she opened it, she would say, you've been drinking. I drank every day. I didn't know why that was a surprise to her. It wasn't until I got sober a little while and realized that was the hope she had for one minute that I wouldn't have drank that day, you know. So I watched Hope die every day, you know, because she loved me and wanted the best for me. But I couldn't do anything right to make it okay for her because I had to drink, you know. These are the highlights of my career. This is my drinking at its best. I'm destroying other people's lives and I'm tearing their hearts out, you know. My parents just looked at me with that puzzled look, because they didn't understand because they didn't drink, you know. My family, for the most part, it had abandoned me. Now, today I get to be a good brother. In June 5th, 1984, I came to in that travel trailer because my first wife left me finally. Thank God she did. She deserved better than me, you know. Um, and I'm living back in that travel trailer in my parents' driveway because, of course, again, I'm not work- going to move back home because I got pride. You know, but I've got their electricity by plugging into their socket. I've got water because I took the garden hose and connected it to the trailer. You know, but I'm not living at home, right? (laughs) You know, I came to that travel trailer in 1984 on June 5th. And I'd love to tell you it was a glamorous day that day, and it was a sunny, bright day, and it was beautiful outside. I can't tell you that because I don't know. What I can tell you is I hated that person that I was seeing in that mirror in that trailer that day. I don't know if anybody else had that look in that mirror. You know, I used to sit in the Seahorse Inn and talk to the guy in the mirror a lot. But I was sitting in that travel trailer and I was looking at that person in that metal mirror with absolute disgust. I'd become everything I didn't want to be. I'd hurt all the people I could ever hurt. They were important to me. You know, I lost the job in the printing trade again. Due to drinking. Now, if any of you are printers, you know how hard that is to do. Because when I first started in the printing trade, our Coke machine at the, at the plant had a button for beer. Right? So how do you lose a job where a button for beer exists? But I was able to do it. I drank it away. You know, I hear people say, I lost jobs. I lost it. I didn't lose any of those things. I gave them away. I drank them away. I let them have it. I let my, I let my first wife go. You know, because I wasn't capable of being a good man. Now, that's alcoholism as prime for me. So on June 5th, when I came to in that travel trailer, I made a fatal mistake. I called my oldest sister. She was the woman I absolutely hated the most of my life because she was just like me. Right? So on June 5th, I I called her, and she said, Dave, you go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she hung up the phone. That's my Eskimo. She came down from... uh, where she lived to take me to my very first meeting three days later. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but she lived in Seattle, Washington, right? She got sober, and it started to change her life and wanted to help her brother. That's the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what I get at Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, fast forward. I have now spent 38 years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm in the middle of building a house, so that she can come live with me because she has Alzheimer's and dementia, right? That's the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what I get to do for her because she was my Eskimo, you know, because of men like you and women like you, you taught me how to become a good father. You know, when my son uh, wanted to marry his wife, he came to me and asked me to come to Idaho so I could meet her before he would ask her to marry her and get my approval I don't know what he had done if I'd have said no, but, you know, it was that important to him. I was the first person to hold my granddaughter because that was important to him. If I had not gone to Alcoholics Anonymous, that would not have happened. Because the men in Alcoholics Anonymous told me, pay that child support on time. Pick up that boy when you're supposed to pick him up. If you got something to do, make sure he's included. If he's not included, don't go. That's what you taught me. And that's what I learned to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I have a life that's just absolutely amazing. Today I got to go to Chino Prison with uh, my friend Lynn here. We were going to visit his nephew. Right? The nice thing is, I got to leave Chino Prison today. You know, my behaviors and actions should have kept me there. But because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I got to come home today. I also got to get talk to a man who's serving life and ask me to sponsor him. What a gift. You know, if you've been to prison, you understand the, the importance of that, that a lifer is asking you to help them, right? What a gift. You know, I've been able to serve on a lot of boards and committees with a lot of these people in this group tonight, you know, and I've loved every minute of it. I love being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous to my core. Because Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm a good human being. Because Alcoholics Anonymous, I can look you in your eyes. I don't know about you, when I was new, I knew you by your shoes. Literally, if you changed your shoes, I didn't know who the hell you were, because I didn't have enough self-worth to look you in the eye. You know, I get to be a retired person today. I don't know, I, I got a working wife, so maybe that may just makes me a functional alcoholic, I'm not sure which. And you know, I'm married to a, a 41-year Al-Anon. She's the most wonderful woman that I could ever have been married to. And that's a gift to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because of my own behavior and actions, I destroy relationships. But because I understand if I apply the traditions in my life, my life gets better. My household gets better. My job gets better. If I work these steps and clear up the wreckage of my past, my life gets better. So if you're new to alcoholics and honest, what I can guarantee is what they told me when I was very new. Waterfront Mac walked up to me in the first speaker meeting I went to, and he told me, kid, you don't ever have to drink again if you don't want to. And he said, even better, kid. You don't ever have to drink again even if you want to. Right? That's a gift. I got a freedom on June 5th, 1984. I came with the gift of desperation. I don't know if you all know what the original name of Alcoholics Anonymous was. It was a group of drunks trying to get sober. That was our original name for this organization. I call that God, a group of drunks. You know, I have a whole different other definition of that, too. But, you know, because Alcoholics Anonymous, I found a power greater in myself. that restored me to sanity and dignity. You know? I can look in uh... So if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous and no one has told you that they love you, I just did. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All, right. All right. Now it's time for the seventh tradition, right? Did we already do that. You got it, you got it while I was... You got it. All right. Well, then that brings us to the big speaker of the night, the big kahuna. He's yeah. even yeah. wearing a hat for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank hey. You. Thank you. I love you, brother. I love you.
1: Wow, what a group. My name is Hank and I'm an alcoholic. Yay. I love Alcoholics Anonymous and I love being sober. I love being sober today. Uh, I'm uh, Right now I'm trying to figure out what version my head is trying to give me tonight. And, uh, you know, I think it's right around version 15 or 16. So, uh, you know... I, uh, on December the 21st of 1982, I found myself backed into a parking spot at the 502 Club. I was invited by a lady that was my Eskimo into this program. Uh, we call her California Kathy, and uh, she told me to meet her at the 502 Club. It was a new cars meeting. Uh, I have my car backed into this parking spot at the 502 club and i'm watching the comings and the goings and uh, i was a connoisseur of programs at this time in my life uh i was a circuit patient if you will and uh, uh, i used to i used to vacation in hospitals and institutions and uh, a lot of people go to you know to hawaii and maui and all that you know and, uh, i used to just check into a hospital and um, but uh I'm, I'm sitting in this car, man, and I'm looking at all these people coming in. Guys are hugging guys. Girls are hugging girls. Everybody has a grin on their face. And, uh, and you know, I, I just, I was baffled by the whole thing. I just, how is a place like this ever going to help a person like me? And so, before I get in, into that meeting, I'd like to take you back a little bit in time and tell you about a, a 16-year-old kid me and that was my very first exposure to the program of alcoholics anonymous and, uh, i grew up uh, i got kicked out of high school when i was 16 my parents went through an extremely bitter divorce and our entire family just disintegrated we all just went in different directions and uh, uh, i'm uh living in a little apartment complex of Excuse me, Hank. We're going <clears> to <throat> wire you a little closer because we're getting more background noise here. we are getting background noise. Uh, get me wired here. There you go. All, right. All right. I go. All All right. I'm 16 years old, and uh, I kicked. I got kicked out of high school, and um, uh, I, was take, I took up residence up in La Crescenta in, in a little duplex with a friend of mine. And... Uh, I'd been up for six or seven days without sleep. And, uh, you know, I've uh, been doing a lot of uh, other chemicals, and i I've spoken some wacky tobacco, and uh, I got this tumbler of ripple wine, and, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sitting on my front living room sofa, which was the front seat of a 55 Chevrolet, and uh, I have a color wheel on in the corner of the room and the room is just changing colors and i'm just sitting there listening to a, a rolling stones album the aftermath album and i'm contemplating the meaning of life and, uh, and, um, and uh, there was a you know my brother stan one year older than me he he, there was this building right across the street from where i was living and it was weird you know guys they would show up in droves and they would take up all the parking in the street and and they were just it was weird you know they were everybody was hugging everybody and and it was just it just baffled me what was going on there and uh, my brother Stan on this one Friday night he shows up at my front door and and very cordially I I hand him a a little wacky tobacco and I gave him a a glass of ripple wine and uh, you know uh, I was hospitality there, and, uh, and we look out the door, and those people started showing up. And uh, I asked Stan, I go, Stan, what is that across the street? There was no sign, there was nothing to indicate what it was. He knew, he says, that is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I go, wow, that's heavy. And, uh, and um, we decided we're gonna find out what's going on over there. And they all filtered inside, and uh, we decided to take our glass of ripple wine and our, our little wacky tobacco and uh, you know, we went over and we sat on the side of the building. And I can remember with clarity, as if it was almost yesterday, we sat there listening through the wall to hear what was going on inside that room. And I remember this lady saying on the other side of that wall where I was, I was listening. She said, I wanted to commit suicide, but I didn't want to make a mess. And all I heard in that room was laughter. People just broke out and roared in laughter. I looked at Stan, and he looked at me, and I go, wow, man, that's heavy. And and that's the attitude. I found myself sitting there in that car on December the 21st. I had all this contempt for this program called Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew if I tell these people I really want to just die all they're gonna do is laugh at me and uh, I walked I got somehow lifted out of that car and into that meeting setting and um, I sat down next to Kathy I got the shakes so bad I couldn't write my own name I have a yellow glow and uh, I couldn't get a cup of coffee from the coffee room because I was shaking so bad, I couldn't even write my own name at the time. And uh, and you know, anybody came up to me and uh, you know tried to greet me, and they go, how's things going, Hank? And I go, fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, I'm cool. And uh, and uh, I uh, I sat down at that table, man, and. Uh, Kathy laid her hand on top of my hand, and she says, Hank, you're home, you're okay. It's going to be okay, man. It's going to be okay. And uh, I don't know why, but I looked up at the front of that room, and there was a podium, something similar to what we have here tonight. uh, I saw a movie one time, an old dated movie, and it was called The Days of Wine and Roses. And in that movie, there was a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I remember somebody getting up at a podium and talking. I don't know why it was any of importance to me, but, you know, I go, Kathy, have you ever been up to that podium and talked? And she said, Hank, you stick around here long enough, maybe someday you'll be up there. This was an hour meeting, a newcomer's meeting, and they were talking about love and honesty and i all i knew how to do at this point in my life was to hate and get even and um, i don't know it was an hour meeting i spent the whole hour the whole hour of that meeting thinking about what i was going to tell you folks when i got up to that podium (laughs) and my head told me things like god They really don't know what they have here, man. They don't really know what a real alcoholic is, man. Wait till you get up there one day and you lay out your story and tell them where you've been and what you've done and what you've accomplished in life. And you're going to sit and you're going to be standing there looking out at the audience and you're going to watch people's mouths just drop to the floor and awe. And whoever runs this organization is going to come up and ask me to write a book on my life. 39 or oh, 39 and a half years later, nobody's asked me to write a book. <laughs> I'm just a drunk amongst drunks. and um, uh, To digress a little bit, uh, I um, when I uh, early on after I was about uh, 21 uh, 20 21 years of age and I got the first real job I ever had in my life and in this this place where i got a job i i did a lot of other uh wheeling and dealing if you know what i mean out on the streets and um and uh, i uh, i found myself at a job and uh, from afar i fell in love with this beautiful lady and uh i really didn't i i had relationships that you know over my life but you know i look back on them now in sobriety and really all i had was hostages and uh I fell in love with this beautiful lady, and she—her name was Teresa. And uh, uh, Teresa was of Mexican descent. And uh, and uh, her her sister worked at the same place. And she came up, took me one day, and asked me if I would be her sister Teresa's partner in and her in her sister's wedding. And um, and I agreed and uh, i went over to introduce myself to her family and i was the only white the only gavacho showing up at that front door and uh, i wasn't very socially acceptable at the time but um i figured i should get to know tedessa before we go to this wedding and uh, i started dating tedessa and uh, i fell in love with that woman and it was the best thing that ever happened to me in life but she had a family unit that i i never had i just fell in love with that woman and um uh, and later on i over a period of time they used i used to, I used to sh- show up to take this out on a date i never told her where i had been what i used how i used to live my life and all the things i had done in my past I never told her anything about that so she really was going in blindsided i never really told her about my past but uh, uh, but i asked tedessa to marry me one time and uh, she says she she said she would marry me but I had to ask permission from her mother and father. And uh, they lived in Cypress Park over in LA. And uh, uh, one, one big problem, uh, her mother and father, I, I was supposed to ask permission to marry her. And her mother and father were from the old country and they spoke no English. And one of the guys who ultimately became a brother-in-law, a cuñado in Spanish, and uh, he, uh, uh, he agreed to talk for me. And uh, so I'm sitting in the front living room of this home on on one couch and mom and dad come in, they're sitting across from me on the other couch. And he says, okay, start talking. And I'm talking and he's translating what I'm saying to mom and dad. Well, I'm watching mom's head go like this and dad's head go like this and I don't know what he's telling (laughs) them. and uh, long story short he got permission and that woman had no idea for what a ride she was in for we were married on on uh, july uh or june uh april of the 12th of 1969 and our first daughter linda was born on uh, january the 11th of 1970 exactly nine months to the day uh, exactly nine months to the day and uh, uh i uh, uh in love with terry and uh, you know that brother-in-law oscar that spoke for me uh you know i wanted to you know i was working i was going to this school i was working eight hours after school and trying to get this career going and, and airframe and power plants to work on planes and uh and people were weren't they weren't getting jobs after they graduated and uh Oscar always had everything a man like me ever needed, and he all, every every time I saw him, he had a lot of money on him like this, and he had he drove a brand new Lincoln Continental, he had a beautiful home over in South Hills, and he had six kids at the time, and uh, you know he had everything I needed, man, and uh, I, he, we went on a ride to the liquor store at a birthday party one night, and uh, I told him my dilemma: I have Teresa is six months pregnant. pregnant. And we have no insurance we had no idea how we're going to pay for this baby and uh, he says quit school come to work for me and if you don't have the money to pay for the baby i'll give it i'll loan it to you and i took him up on it and i came came home from the liquor store i go up to teresa and i say honey and i whisper in her ear as i'm dancing with her that i'm going to quit school and go to work for oscar well, what a job that was for me. It was made in heaven for an alcoholic like me. And uh, uh, Oscar had a real estate office uh, over on Valley Boulevard in Bassett called Rodriguez Realty. And the problem was I'm the only gavacho in the office. Our sole source of advertising was La Pino. And I spoke no Spanish. And, uh, and I drove a 1960 lowered Ford. With dummy spotlights on the uh, next to the windshield, dingle balls on the windows, and a little steering wheel with a crystal blue gear shift knob, and and people and Oscar helped taught me how to help people think it over, and uh, you know, and he, you know, and uh, he taught me things like muy bonita casa, you know, beautiful house, and, uh, tres de camaros. Dos banos, three bedrooms, two baths, muy bonita casa. And we would bounce around town and you know and we come back and they want to think it over. And he says, what you do is you go across the street to Miller's liquor store and you get a bottle of tequila or a case of beer and some sodas for the kids and chips, and you you all sit down at the desk and you think it over together. And I can't tell you how many times, man, you know. Uh, i whip out that paperwork and I'd say, well, let's get this paperwork out of the way. And I had one guy call me up the next day and he says, he says, he found this paperwork when he came to the next morning and he wanted to know where the house was he bought. <laughs> <laughs> the end of that story is, the end of that story is that uh, uh, he still lives in that house today. It's free and clear. And, uh, you know, he... He brought his family over from Mexico and he just, he lives in that house today. And, uh, uh, you know, so there is a, there's a positive end to that story. But uh, uh, I was ultimately, uh, you know, Terry, uh, I, I thought I'd married a defective woman to tell you the truth. And uh, uh, as I shared with you, my, my first daughter was born exactly nine months to the day after we were married. Uh, then uh, in the same year in December, you know, well, right after, you know, the doctor told me I had to be out of the saddle for 28 days and right after I was able to get back into the saddle again, she got struck down pregnant again and uh, my, my first son was born in December of the same year. And then the next one was born eleven months later, and eleven months later another one was born. I used to come home. I used to I I used to think, man, I can't even walk in the room and look at her, man. And she gets struck down pregnant, man. I didn't have to do anything, you know. I come in and there was diapers from one side of the yard to the other because she did believe, We didn't have pampers back then, and there was just diapers, and the wash machine would go and go and. As time is progressing I I'm, I'm I'm drinking pretty much you know Terry just didn't understand I'm finding clients in these bars I have to go into bars now that's where I get the clients to pay the bills and and there's now I'm getting progressively worse in my disease and uh, my disease is picking up again and um, uh, one day I, I find myself uh, you know in a bar over in Pomona and. Uh, uh, I had cashed a big commission check. And, uh, well, it was big at the time. as Kakawati is now our peanuts now. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I get this check and, uh, you know, I'm partying all day. I started at like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And about, oh, maybe right around the bartender change. You know, I'm sitting there and this beautiful lady, she walks in the bar. And she sits down at the end of the bar. And with all my charisma, I tell the bartender, send her down a drink. And she smiled and saluted me, and I slithered down to the other end of the bar, and we started talking, and uh, we exchanged phone numbers right after that. And uh, right after my daughter, my my wife Teresa delivered our our fourth child, my my son was three weeks old. I was to go to Terry and tell her that I was leaving. This is not a part of my story I'm fond of sharing, but it's part of my story, and. Uh, Uh, i was to tell her i was leaving and uh, i wasn't to have the privilege to see my kids grow up for the next five years of their life Uh, i was no longer employable in real estate i was just drinking day in and day out that relationship that i thought was given to me by god that he finally gave me somebody that understood me it lasted maybe six months and we just went different directions I found myself tending bar along Mission Boulevard in Pomona. It was the only job that really made any sense to me because I could get on the same level as the, the people at the bar. And it just was a job. It was a great job for me. And, and uh, I would call up Terry on a, on, a, on a weekday or whatever, and I'd say, Tedesci, get the kids together. It's Linda's birthday coming up here. I'm going to take them all to Disneyland You know, for Linda's birthday. Get them together. I'm going to pick them up on Saturday. And uh, Saturday, we rolled around, and I just stopped by the bar to have one drink, just one, and never made it. And this didn't happen once or twice, it happened numerous times to the point to where Teresa wasn't even taking my calls anymore. Somehow, through all this mess, one of the people at the bar t- told me one time, he says, Hank, you're going downhill quick you need to get some help and I I found the first place that I vacationed at a little house a little hospital over here at the end of uh, highway 39 going up into the canyon it used to be called Sierra Royal Hospital and uh, I check into Sierra Royal Hospital and uh, uh, I was a vacation at Sierra Royal Hospital for the next six months Uh, who would want to leave uh, I went, I checked into the hospital with a portable radio like this, and I took the battery pack out, and I, I stuffed my knees my inside of the radio, and uh, I would go into the bathroom and and, and hit off of a joint, and uh, then go to group therapy, man, and, and six months, man, six months into my vacation at Sierra Royal Hospital, they came and announced to me that my insurance had run out, and I had to, I had to go, and uh, i walk out of sierra royale house uh sierra royale with uh, and they introduced me that first time you know uh, to a meeting right across the street which is still in existence at a Denver location roman is very active and at uh, uh, the beanbag meeting used to be right across the street from sierra royale uh, and they actually had beanbags but they would medicate us patients and walk us across the street and after the meeting was over we couldn't get out of the beanbags and <laughs> yeah, true story and uh, you know there was a guy never named tom christensen he was uh, he worked with the national association of alcoholism and uh, he um, he would come up to us patients and say what did you think of that meeting i go Those are great stories great stories man you know they had some good stories and um Anyway, I get checked out of uh, Sierra Roa Hospital. I got a big book under one arm and my luggage in the other. And I'm walking down Highway 39 into Azusa and did the first thing I know how to do. I walk into a bar. I set the big book up on the bar on my luggage at my feet and just thought out my next move. And as time progresses now, I'm I'm, I'm drinking day in, day out. And, uh, and uh, somehow, some someway, I, I finagle my way into working. At a company I still had a real estate license and I worked myself into a uh, becoming a a manager of a a large mortgage firm down on Wilshire Boulevard and uh, I did very well very quickly I I had maintained about six seven eight months of sobriety and uh, I'm doing very well and um, I called Teresa up one day and I told her I said, I'm sober and uh, I've got a great job and uh, do you think I could come and see the kids and she invited me over to dinner. I guess she just wanted some more pain in her life. And uh, But I walked into that house and those four kids, especially the two youngest, they didn't know even know who I was. They didn't know who their father was. And uh, I, uh, I worked my way into their life and, uh, and I've just brought havoc back into that life. And that job I did so well at, uh, right around somewhere right in 1981, Uh, I got a call into the the CEO's office and the entire executive committee of this corporation was sitting around this table and they gave me an ultimatum. I I was told that uh, I had to quit drinking on or off the job or I had to resign. And I knew that Terry was calling them and telling them I wasn't coming home two weeks at a time. I was disappearing a couple weeks at a time. I knew she was calling them and um so i i told them what they could do with their job and uh, i walk out of that uh, building thoroughly convinced that i'm going to turn around after i resign, and i'm going to turn around and as i get to my car i'm going to watch that building collapse and uh, you know they they don't know what they're doing i went on a quest you know to show everybody what they were doing to me and uh, I was i went i started i got a large severance check and i started drinking day in and day out and i'm i'm going in and in a summer how i'm dressed today and with a briefcase into the different motels every night along mission and holes in pomona i'm going to a different one every night because i don't want them to find me and i but i want the people of the hotel or motel to think i'm on a business trip and i just go in and watch gomer pile reruns or whatever and uh, and uh, one night, uh, you know, I'm, I get very ill and I started throwing up a lot of blood and uh, uh, I was putting chemicals up in my veins, up my nose, down my throat, drinking all the, I was drinking a quart and a half of tequila a day and, uh, and I was trying to get there wherever there is. and uh, uh, Somehow through all that mess, I, I found my way home. And I walk into the house, and Teresa and the kids were not there, but they were to come home and find me in the bathroom in a pool of blood. I was virtually drowning in my own blood. I got carried into a car by one of my nephews, and they took me over to Queen of the Valley Hospital. And uh, from the time I came into that hospital, uh, there was a doctor named Dr. Ben Bonaccio, and he had my be the surgeon on call. Dr. Ben looked down at me and says, Hank, he says, we only have one chance to save your life. I have to go in, the blood is coming out faster than we can put it in. They were to give me 25 pints of blood in surgery. I went in, I lost all vital signs twice in surgery and I went into a coma for 10 days. And they called Tedessa up and told her that the end was imminent, it's time to come. And uh, I don't know how, you know, but uh, I remember coming out of this coma, my eyes opened. There was two doctors at the end of the bed, and they were—I guess—they were there to pronounce me dead. And uh, they looked at each other, and they just shook their head. There was a priest putting ashes on my forehead, giving me my last rites, and there was a group of family members praying alongside my bed. And I could—I Terry leaned over to me to give me a hug because I came too, and I—all I could do was whisper. I still have something left to do but i don't know what it is i wasn't to find it i wasn't that was august the first of 1981 my sobriety date is 1221 of 82. so i had another year and four months of trying to prove that i could drink like a human being and it just didn't work and uh, what ultimately hit was my bottom was the time on just about December the 7th of 82, I asked the kids to give me a list of things that they wanted for Christmas and write down 10 things they might want for Christmas. And um, I, uh, I, I decided I borrowed $1,000 and I'm gonna go Christmas shopping. I leave to go Christmas shopping and I just stopped off at the bar to have one drink. Two weeks later, I'm waking up in the back seat of my car. I'm in the parking lot of the bar that I was at the night before. The crew is coming in to clean up. My head is going, God, if I could just get in and get one down, everything will be okay. I'll be all right. Just need to get one. I'm reaching in my pockets. The money's gone. The keys, I I don't have my keys to my car. The owner took them away from me and put me in the back seat of the car the night before. I reached in the back pocket and I found all I found was those four lists. And I never knew. I knew I had never bought one present. I was to go home that day. I was to go home that day and walk into a house. And I know that each one of us had probably seen it once, at least once or many times. Those four kids, their eyes were looking back at me. That wife, that 110 pound non drinker. She was looking at me. They never said a word. Their eyes said it all. Why did you even come back? Somehow through all that mess, I, uh, I, I sat down in a chair. I, I tried to open a can of beer or a bottle of beer. I didn't drink it. I, I, I reached out for the phone and called Kathy. Kathy, you know, I almost hung up the phone without ever telling her the purpose of my call. What time do I have to end this? What's that? 45 minutes from the time you started. So okay. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, I, uh, I, Kathy, before I hung up the phone, says, Hank, you can't do it by yourself. And she invited to me at that newcomer's meeting at the Bible T-Club. About 60 days into that first adventure into Alcoholics Anonymous, with all the contempt that I had at that time, I knew this program wasn't going to work. I was given God 30 days to get, keep me sober for 30 days and everything will get back the way it should be. The kids will be back on my good graces. And every the wife will understand that I'm doing something for my alcoholism, I'm going to AA. And uh, about 30 days into my sobriety, I was introduced to a man that ultimately became my sponsor and took me into the journey of Alcoholics Anonymous. His name was Water from Mac. Waterfront, Waterfront Mac became my sponsor for 29 years before his passing and uh, Waterfront Mac you know I was not an, a quick study I wasn't a quick study I I 2 stepped this program for maybe a couple of years before I finally grasped the, the necessity to get the steps and do them in order Mac came to me one day and he says Hank all your life man you've been like it's been like you've been driving around in a station wagon And all this stuff you've been doing all your life and all this pain you've been causing other people, you've just been throwing into the back seat in the back of this station wagon. And here you come pounding into driving into AA and you slam on the brakes and all that stuff that's in the back of that station wagon is gonna come up and join you in the front seat. And he says, if you if you don't get into these steps, if you don't get a home group, and if you don't, you know, you have a sponsor, you know, call me on a regular basis and you do what we you if you want what I have you do what I do and you go where I go. It's very simple. If you look around this if you're new or relatively new look around here and you'll see people that have worked this program for years. If you want what they have go where they go do what they do and you'll find what they have. But you know I Mac, took me aside one day and he says you've been trying to think yourself into sobriety for a long time. How is that working and I go well that stinking thinking was creeping in and he says "Uh, why don't we try doing the steps in order and I got into the journey of Alcoholics Anonymous within the 12 steps where I was discovered that I almost killed an innocent man me and um, I I found out and uh, I, I get to associate myself with many guys that you know have some have more sobriety than me and some have a little less than me. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I tell you, I I share this uh, out of fondness for a lady that wasn't even in the program. I I love talking to people today because I never know where the message from God is going to come from. And uh, there was a lady that lived just very close to where I live in the same development where I live. And uh, I would stop and talk to Gracie. Her name was Gracie. Her name was Gracie. And uh, I would stop and talk with Gracie. And she was, at the time, in her late 80s, she passed away right around her, somewhere in her early 90s. And I was talking, and she very articulate, lady, very articulate. Always seemed to have a great message. And uh, I sat down on her living room sofa one day, I'm talking to her, and she says, You know, Hank, she says, Today, we're the oldest we've ever been. And paradoxically, we're the youngest we're ever going to be. It's all about today and this lady isn't even in the program and it is all about today what an easy simple concept of this program living one day at a time i was a victim of the world i was to find out through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that i was only but a victim of the world the way i see the world i found I found that in step one, the principle step one was honesty. I had to get honest with myself for the first time of my life. It ultimately became teachable. Uh, I, in step two, you know, the principle is hope. Going into AA meetings, I found, you know, through hearing other people's experiences, I found hope that I didn't have to live the way I was living anymore, that there was, there was hope on the horizon, and three the principle is faith faith that power of greater than myself can restore my life to some kind of measurable insanity that i get to turn my will and my life over to on a daily basis and courage and step four courage to take a look at myself for the first time in my life to put it down pen to paper and look at myself for the first time in my life and step five and having some integrity with sharing it with another human being. You know, and really identifying who I really am. Who I am. There's in step six is willingness. I had to get willing. I had to get willing to accept, become entirely ready to allow God to remove everything that was blocking me from my spiritual growth. I had to develop the willingness to let God get me closer to him. And uh, step, you know, step seven, we we develop some humility. Step eight, brotherly love. Step nine, we give justice to all those people that we've harmed in our lives. Step 10, perseverance, persevering, even no matter how rough it's getting along the path. Step 11, through prayer and meditation, I get to improve my conscious contact with the power greater than myself. And twelve being a service. What a joy it is to be a service today, and have the, the desire to just help another human being. Everything. My whole life today. I'm retired now, and I have a I have a little I have a little bit one up on those that are married and uh, and that have jobs and have to do those things because I can devote most of my time, if not all my time, to you know to helping others today. That's what I get to do and i enjoyed the heck out of it man and uh, those four kids that uh, that i abandoned with uh, when they were small my youngest son mark that was three weeks old when i left him they've all heard me you know share from the podium and they all heard me share and uh, mark came up to me one night and when i shared about that christmas december 21st of 82 that 1982 christmas and he said dad you keep saying that it was a dismal christmas but it was the best Christmas we ever had. It was the first time you ever gave us a sober father. Wow. And uh, those kids now are in their 50s. I'm blessed with seven grandchildren. I screwed up royally being a father, royally. You know, but God, I make a damn good grandpa. You know, I really do uh that 110 pound non-drinker T- teresa uh, i had worked very hard i had a business a private business and uh, i i set terry up financially where she would be able to live out her life in comfort in my passing But god had another plan on uh, july 23rd of 2013 she was with me one day and gone the next and, uh, just uh, something that I had to work through. I went through a deep depression over that one. It was through enrollment and people in this program that pulled me back in. I get to back into these steps again. There isn't anything in my life today that these 12 steps will not help me with. They're a toolbox. And there comes a time in our lives, if we're alcoholics of our, my kind anyway, where well, the only alternative that I have is to reach down and pick up the tools that are laid at my feet. It's with those tools that I get to break, break the blockage that has blocked me from that spiritual connection all my life. I have a God today beyond my, my I mean, I share the word grace often with the grace of, of, of God. I get to celebrate 39 plus years of sobriety. And I had to look up the word grace one time. And I looked up the word grace and it says, love and mercy to a soul who doesn't deserve it. And we often read in a portion of our readings, you know, when, in a vision for you where we, we hope we meet some of of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. The word trudge baffled me, why trudge? And I looked it up one day and the word trudge The definition I looked and read that it identified with was walking with a purpose. Alcoholics Anonymous has allowed me to walk through my life today with a purpose. Dave shared Dave shared some acronyms of God. And the one that I love and I that I go with today is I get good orderly direction. I have good orderly direction in my life. There is nothing. In my life, that a drink will not make worse nothing. As long as we know that, you know, and believe me, it, there's at times, man. You know, my head was like, I, I don't care how much sobriety I, have. I know. Guys here that, are, that got more sobriety than me, and. Their head is just as squirrely as it was, you know, when we were new, man. And I mean, you know, we, we could get into that spot, man, where we thank God we have a sponsor. Thank God we have a fellowship. If you're new, relatively new, please try to get a wall of AA friends. Get phone numbers. Get, get phone numbers. There isn't anybody in this meeting or any other meeting that I go to that means you any harm. All we want for you is to find what we found, the gift of sobriety and i'll close with this i think my time should be up i don't know i don't know when i started but um i'll tell you uh i know this with every fiber of my body as i stand here before you it says on page 568 of our big book that the three elements of recovery in AA are willingness honesty and open-mindedness if i get willing maybe for the first time in my life to get honest with myself and become open-minded to the fact my way isn't working or my way wasn't working. Together we can open the gates of your hell and let you out. And the very last paragraph of that page says there is a principle, a principle that will keep a man like me in everlasting ignorance, everlasting ignorance for the rest of my life. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. Welcome. Thank you very much for allowing me. Thank, thank
0: you. All right, well, let's thank the Hank one more time. I'd like to also thank everyone else for coming and, and helping. And then let's give a hand to the cooks for tonight. Yeah. You did a great job. And uh, can I get a volunteer to read the promises? All right, Jerry. All right, Roman, why don't you come do it then? Yeah, I
2: want to do
0: it. Uh-huh. Hank fired me up. <laughs> <laughs> and pray and us David out with too. the Lord's Prayer of your choice.
2: Good orderly direction. Roman alcoholic. Oh, yeah. uh, If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire,
1: And lead us not into temptation, temptation but, but
2: deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, and, and the power, and, and the glory, and forever. Amen. Coming back, it's working. Wow, man. Thank guys. love this.